Welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast. If you love tennis and want to improve your game, this podcast is for you. Whether it's technique, strategy, equipment, or the mental game, tennis professional Ian Westerman is here to make you a better player. And now, here's Ian. Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Tennis Express. Please check them out this week by going to EssentialTennis.com slash Express. Well, we've got a great topic to talk about on today's show. We're going to be discussing losing a stroke. And if that's ever happened to you, as it has with me a couple of times, I'm going to talk about that. You know how frustrating that can be. I'm going to talk about how to get your way out of that. And we're also also going to talk about creating a more penetrating backhand slice. Before we get to that, just a quick note about next week's show. I'm going to have Steve Beck on. He's a certified personal trainer. You may re- recognize that name from the videos I've been putting out recently. He and I have been putting out a bunch of free fitness videos showing you how you can become a stronger, faster tennis player around the court. And he's going to be my guest on next week's show. We're going to talk about fitness as it relates to tennis, how to become a better tennis player with fitness. And we're going to have an announcement as well, something really special coming up that he and I have been working on. So make sure to tune into that. That'll be episode number 179 coming out next week. All right, with that, let's go ahead and get to today's topic. Sit back, relax, and get ready for some great tennis instruction. All right, let's get to today's topic, which is a great one that comes to us from Tenny in Sydney, Australia, who's a 4.0 player. Tenny wrote to me and said, I've been playing social competition for a number of years. A few years ago, I developed a very consistent and effective single-handed backhand slice, which had great bite off the court and stayed low. It was, as you would describe, an unconsciously competent shot, and I could control it consistently off high or low, wide or short, soft or hard shots, anything. I used the shot for a few years with great effect. However, over the past couple of years, I have forgotten how to hit that shot and now have only a weaker backhand slice, which seems to float high over the net, sit up after it bounces, and completely lacks court penetration. I am desperate to get this shot back as it has left a gaping hole in my game. It was a vital part of my arsenal, allowing me to compete with 4.5 and 5.0 level players. Dozens of hours with the practice basket has failed to improve it at all. My specific question is, without seeing my technique, can you point out what are the key technical differences between the weak, floaty, high slice and the stronger, biting, heavy, lower slice? More generally, is this loss of technique a common thing? And if possible, how does one avoid this from happening? Okay, Tenny, great questions, both of them, and we're going to talk about both of those topics and in reverse order. I want to kick today's show off by first talking about that phenomenon of losing a stroke, and then we're going to talk specifically about the technique that is most important in being able to hit that, that more competitive, more penetrating backhand slice. I'm going to give you the, the two keys to being able to hit that that better, stronger slice and not have all your backhand slices float up like they have been. 
So let's start off by talking about losing a shot. And Tanya's question was, is it common? And my answer to that is absolutely. Yes, it, it definitely, you know, I don't want to say common, like it happens all the time. But for those of you listening that have been playing, you know, let's say five years or longer, I would bet that the majority of those listening to my voice right now has had this happen to some degree or another over the years. And it's happened, it's actually happened to me several times. And in my experience, it happens kind of in two different varieties. Uh, the, the first type of stroke loss is kind of a, just a random disappearance during a peak uh, portion of play within your career. And that, that uh, way of losing a stroke has happened to me two times, and both times my forehand, and both times in the middle of a team season. Firstly, in my high school career, and then again in college, I totally lost my forehand. My my feel for the shot, it's re- really not all, it, it wasn't just that all of a sudden my forehand got weaker and it wasn't as good. I totally lost it. All feel for it. And I, I went from it being my most confident shot and probably my biggest weapon to having to slice and block it back because I just totally lost the feel for it. Just like out of the blue, like one day, like seriously, like I walked out like one day after a good day previously. And for whatever reason, the stroke just left me. And that's frustrating, really frustrating. And both times it took me about a month of repetition and fighting through that to finally be able to be confident and comfortable with it again. So in my experience, that's the first way that somebody can lose a stroke is just totally losing the feel for it. And it really doesn't matter how good a player you are. Uh, this can happen to, to anybody. And we're going to talk about why or, or how to avoid it in a, in a minute. The, the second way that somebody can lose a stroke, main way, is just kind of a general disappearance due to lack of practice. And this can happen to anybody. And, and and it might not even be lack of practice. You know, I, I really should have worded this a little bit differently or, or added a third way that people can lose uh, a stroke. In fact, I'm going to do that <laughs> on the fly here. Uh, I should I should change this up a little bit. Uh, we're we're going to add a third way that that something like this can happen, like what Tenny is describing. Uh, general disappearance due to lack of high level practice would be number two. This has happened to me as well uh, with my backhand slice, just like with Tenny. My backhand slice has gotten weak. It's gotten floaty. And that's been due to lack of practice at a level that has kept it a good shot. And so now that I'm not teaching full time anymore and I'm, I'm starting to play more often, my backhand slice used to be extremely reliable and, and I could really do whatever I wanted with it. It was a very, very comfortable, very confident shot. And I, I feel like I've forgotten how to hit it now and it's gone away. And I have to spend a lot of time with it now to, to get it back to where it used to be. And so it's gone away just basically due to lack of, of competitive practice um, in my own backhand slice. And now let me, uh, on, the fly, on the fly here, let me add a third reason. And I think this is probably the, the main reason why this has happened to Tenny. And that is due to bad habits creeping into your game. And if you're not aware of it and you don't catch it early, 
before you know it, your technique can change and maybe revert back to an old habit. Or just in general, you can pick up a bad habit that will decrease the level of the resulting shots that you're able to hit with X, Y, or Z stroke. So there you go. I, I should have added that into my outline the first time I went through it, but it's just occurring to me now as, I, as I'm talking through it that that's probably the biggest reason why this has happened to Tenny, at least based on the uh, description. So again, quickly, reason number one, just random disappearance. That's happened to me twice. Reason number two, lack of high enough level practice to keep it sharp. That's happened to me as well. And reason number three, just just general kind of bad little habits creeping in there that over time erode the quality of your shot. And I think that's probably what's happened to Tenny. So how do we avoid this? How do we avoid it? And um, so I've got an outline here for both of the two main ones that I talked about before. I'm going to I'm going to definitely talk about the third way as well. I, I'm going to be uh, definitely talking about that in in detail. First, let's talk about the the general disappearance, and this is pretty straightforward, you know. And and really, I can lump this in along with uh, the bad habits uh, creeping in. So um, when you don't practice for a certain period of time. And this is different for everybody. If, if you don't have high-level practice relative to your own level of play, for X period of time, you will start to, you'll, you know, it's just human nature. Tennis, t- being a, a good tennis player is not like riding a bike. You know, it's, to a certain extent it is. Once you know how to just hit the ball and play, you know, you're never really going to lose that completely. However, being able to play at maybe where Tenny is now, a 4-0 level, and maybe even being able to compete with a 4-5 or a 5-0 player here and there on a, on a good day, you only get to that level after learning lots of different muscle memory type techniques, things that really are are complicated. And you drill those into your brain and drill those into your body over a, seri- a series of repetitions and over a, uh, you know enough time that it becomes a habit. And it's only natural when you don't keep up, when you don't maintain those skills over a certain period of time, it's only natural that they will start to digress. And, you know, I can absolutely attest to that as, as I taught over the last seven years full time. That happened to me big time, and I'm I'm having to play catch up now that I'm starting to hit again, and the amount of time that it takes for somebody to digress is different from player to player. Some players really just kind of have more feel, and they have more just kind of take to to tennis more naturally than others, and so they can take a month off and come back and hit really just hit just as well as they did before. Other players, in my experience, can take off a week and come back, and for the first hour just totally feel like a fish out of water and and they have to really be regular and how often they hit otherwise their comfort level drops very quickly and so you have to keep up with it that's the bottom line the way that you avoid just general disappearance of a stroke due to lack of practice is you just have you just have to keep up with it period now Moving on to the more uh, random dis- disappearance, like what I experienced twice with my forehand, that's really difficult. And it could be due to a lot of different reasons, and most of those reasons are, are mental. 
you know, it's just some kind of mental trigger. If something happens and, and you just kind of lose confidence and it's really hard to kind of pinpoint exactly what happened to cause that to occur. And honestly, to this day, I really have no idea why my forehand left me those two times. I, I can't pick out a certain like thought that I had or maybe pick out a a certain technique that I did where all of a sudden I just, I lost my feel for the shot and it just went away and it took me weeks in order to find it again to where I was able to actually hit topspin with confidence again. Um, ultimately, it, it was definitely some confidence, you know, issue that that was, I, I mean, that, that might, probably sounds kind of obvious, but something happened to erode my confidence in the shot and it, it seemed to happen all at once. I, I don't think that it was a, a gradual thing where all of a sudden I, you know, I woke up and I walked out onto the court and it's like, oh, I just kind of decided, well, I guess I don't have confidence in my forehand today. It just kind of hit me totally out of left field. And so that's very difficult to, to diagnose. However, the cure for both the random disappearance and for the general disappearance due to lack of practice and the cure for probably what happened to Tenny with the, the bad habit creeping into your game, the, the cure for all three is the same. And it's a three-step process that I'm going to lay out here. Number one, identify the areas of your game that are slipping as it happens. And this is probably the, the hardest part for recreational players. And you have to really be paying attention and you have to really be purposeful about your game in order to do this effectively. If you, know, if you make a habit out of just walking onto the courts and being kind of lackadaisical and just floating through practice, not really paying attention, and the drills that you do, there's not really much purpose to them. In fact, maybe you don't even do drills. Maybe you, you walk out into the court, you just kind of hit the ball around for, well, maybe you just hit the ball around for 45 minutes and you walk off and, and you think that you're going to improve that way. You're not going to. Um, maybe you warm up for five or 10 minutes and then you just go right into point play. Um, there's not anything wrong with doing that once in a while, by the way. That's perfectly fine. You should practice your your competition, your strategy, your tactics, you know, your mental toughness during match play. You know That's, that's all good. As you work through that, you need to be aware of what's happening. And that doesn't mean that you become preoccupied. And this is something that recreational players struggle with is they kind of take that to an extreme. And every single stroke that they make, they're kind of hyper aware of what they're doing and every little part of their technique. And that's not what I'm talking about. What I mean is that you're just mindful of patterns of what's happening in your game. So if you're you know, if, if over the course of five or 10 minutes, you miss several forehands long and you don't miss any to, into the net or any wide, but all of a sudden there becomes this little pattern of missing a certain shot in a certain place. You need to pay attention of that, uh, pay attention to that rather. Or maybe it's something where your technique is starting to slip a little bit and, and the quality of X, Y, or Z shot starts to slip a little bit. Again, um, just over like a 10, 5, 10, 15 minute period of time and the quality of a certain shot starts to drop. You need to pay attention to that. Or maybe your body is giving you some feedback. You, know, you finish hitting for a half an hour or 45 minutes and maybe you're taking a water break and you realize that your forearm is starting to ache a little bit and it's, that's never really happened before. That's another 
cue that you need to pay attention to. There's three just quick examples of things that if you're not paying attention to those type of things in your game and you're just going through the motions and just hitting the ball, you're going to miss though you're going to miss the um, indicators that something is about to go wrong with your game. And if you don't catch it as it's happening, then before you know it, you know, a month later, you may completely lose a certain stroke. And so you have to keep on top of it. So that's key number one to being able to avoid and, and cure ultimately the loss of a stroke is you have to identify little slips in your game, little areas of um, deficiency as they begin to happen before they turn into big problems. So that's number one. Number two, you have to diagnose why X, Y, or Z thing is happening. So why that that uh, forearm pain is happening. You have to diagnose correctly why that forehand all of a sudden has started floating long over the last 5, 10, or 15 minutes. Or diagnose why the, the level of your slice backhand, you know, for whatever reason, you know, that last set, my, my slice backhand was really just kind of floating. It, it just wasn't quite as penetrating as it normally is. This is the hard part. You know, identifying the areas as they slip, that can be tricky and that takes concentration and, and really purposefulness, you know, in your hitting. But diagnosing why those certain things are happening and, and what the reason is, that's the hard part. And it, it takes experience to be able to cor- correctly identify and correctly diagnose problems. And I mean, to be totally honest, this, and, and I'm not, <laughs> I'm not in the uh, tennis, t- you know, coaching or tennis pro, you know, giving lessons at a club gig anymore. So I don't have anything to gain from this. But this is where the experience of a tennis pro can really pay off and it's really worth the money. Um, you know, if, if you don't want to spend the money to go take a weekly lesson, then I can understand that. And you can still find great information online. And if you're focused and you can keep yourself on task, you can still coach yourself uh, you know, with, with help from an expert on the internet. You can still become a better tennis player. Absolutely. I, I see it happen every single day. Um, but if you run into a specific problem, like what Tenny was describing, having the eyes of an experienced tennis pro can be really can be priceless. And the you know finding a good pro is starts to get you into into the position where you can walk onto the court, say, "Listen, this is the specific." Um, thing that's happening. This is the symptom of what's happening in my game. I've, I really, I'm struggling with figuring out why. And within five or ten minutes, the pro can give you the reason. And that's all important. If you can't identify the reason correctly, then we can't correctly work on it to actually make it better. And that's step number three. Uh, once you've identified that there's a slip and once you have diagnosed what the problem is specifically, and that might be totally different for every single person, even for the same stroke, then you have to go to the courts and you have to repeat the problem area with the fix over and over again and be, be aware of the fix and put in enough repetitions that you overwrite whatever bad habit was starting to starting to occur. 
Now, you know, this, this sounds really logical. This sounds really simple and easy. Well, yeah, sure, Ian, you know, figure out it's going wrong, figure out what the problem is, and then work on it and repeat it. It's easy, right? But the, the nuts and bolts and the, the diagno- really the diagnosis part of this especially, it's not easy. And this is where players, recreational players can get caught and totally stuck in their game and they'll stop improving or even revert. You know, it, in Tenny's case here, we had a specific stroke. Sometimes players' whole game can kind of drop down a level and they just can't figure out the reason why. And that's the hard part. Now, that, that, that wraps up the, the section of my outline here on, on f- losing a stroke. And hopefully that's helpful to you and, and having an, kind of an action plan. Work through those three steps. And listen, if, if you're listening to me right now, if, if you're hearing my voice right now and, and you've been struggling with a shot for months or struggling with a part of your game, maybe it's not technique related for months and you're just you feel like you just have nowhere to go and you've tried everything and nothing's working. You're probably stuck on the diagnosis part of it and you've misdiagnosed maybe over and over again and, and you've tried different things but nothing has been working. Feel free to let me know, all right? I, I want to let you all know, if you're a, list, a regular listener of my show, I, I'm totally open to giving you help. Uh, really, I, I mean that. And I, I might not have... 45 minutes to sit down and write you a super long you know, response, but I will definitely give you ideas. So you can always feel free to, to send me an email to ian, that's I-A-N, at essentialtennis.com. Ian at essentialtennis.com. I don't, I don't want you to feel like you know, you're totally alone. And, and I know that a lot of you listening, you don't have the, the finances to be able to take a regular tennis lesson and, and be able to have that benefit of professional feedback on a regular basis. Um, so feel free to use me. <laughs> I, I appreciate all of you that are regular listeners. And so if you get stuck, definitely feel free to let me know. All right. Um, so with that, let's move on to the backhand slice technique. Now that we've worked through the uh, losing a stroke section of the outline, and hopefully that's made sense to those of you listening. And if you have any specific questions on that, definitely post them in uh, below this podcast at essentialtennis.com slash podcast. Now, let's talk about backhand slice technique. The resulting ball flight of any backhand slice, Tenny, is going to have to do with two main variables. The first one is the path of the racket. The The path of the racket, you know, the, the racket as a whole, should have a U shape to it. As you make contact, we do want the racket to be dropping downwards and then the racket should come back up again around shoulder height. And so the, the racket really should start around shoulder height, come down slightly to meet the ball. Racket will continue to drop at least a little bit as contact is made. And then the racket should come back up again to around shoulder height. So there's, there's a U shape to it. Now, the deeper the U is, the more float your shot is going to have to it, the more shallow the U is. So the, the less difference there is between your starting point and the bottom of your stroke, the straighter of a ball path we're going to have uh, from that resulting shot. Okay? So just simple stuff here. Uh, the second variable at play here is the angle of your racket face. 
the more open your racket face is, meaning the more your strings are angled towards the sky, the more float you're going to get on your backhand slice. The more closed your racket face is, the straighter of a shot you're going to get. And by the way, these two variables play off each other. Um, an example of that would be when you, let, let's say that you're, you have a really deep U and the racket is really coming down towards the ball. Well, if you think about it, you know, th- with the net being in the way, a good 30, you know, 40 feet away from where you're standing and the racket traveling downwards, we can't have the racket too closed. And the more the racket is dropping down, the more open we need the face to be. Otherwise, the ball is going to go into the net. And th- this is probably, in fact, I would bet money, Tenny, that this is what's happening to you. The more your racket starts to drop and the more aggressively your racket is moving downwards towards the courts, and so the, the deeper of a U shape we start getting, the more the face has to open to account for that. Otherwise, we'll start missing the shot into the net. It just won't make it over the net because we have that downward momentum of the racket. And so the more the racket drops and the more open it is, the more backspin is going to be on the ball and the more of a floating, sitting shot we're going to get. So the way that we fix that, hopefully that all makes sense. The way that we fix that is by creating a more lateral swing path, a straighter swing path, a swing path that's more parallel to the court. Now, there, there should still be a U-shape to it, but we want it to be more shallow than what you're doing right now. All other things being equal, we need to create a more shallow racket path with your racket and we need to flatten the racket face so that it's not so open. And if you if you change both of those main technique elements to your backhand slice, I guarantee you that you will start to see more of a penetrate penetrating shot. You know, we could we could get more detailed. We could talk more about uh, the use of the shoulder, uh, the use of the core. You know, your stance, the you know direction of the racket path uh, from right to left. Uh, as well as out towards your target. Uh, I'm not going to get into those things. I, I just I want to talk to you in really simple terms. And, you know, this is just kind of the physics side of it. <laughs> the, the more the racket goes down and the more the uh, face is open, the more the ball is going to float. And that's what's happened. And so somewhere along the line, during your practice and competition, Tenny, your racket started to, started to drop down more. You started having a more aggressive kind of downward motion. You know, chop, if you will. A chop would be kind of an exaggerated way of doing it. But your racket, somewhere along the way, started dropping more. And to keep the ball out of the net, your face started opening more. And so that's going to create a more floating shot. And when it hits the court on the other side, yeah, it's just going to sit there. And that's not going to be very competitive against a 5-0 player. 5-0 player is going to tee off on that uh, all day long. So um, that's pretty much it, Tenny. Uh, we need a straighter swing path. We need a flatter racket face. Hopefully that's helpful to you. And by the way, I have a, uh, a video up at EssentialTennis.com slash video, or you can go to uh, the YouTube channel, uh, YouTube.com slash EssentialTennis. And I, I did, I think it's like a nine or 10 minute video breaking down uh, slice, backhand slice technique. You'll see an example of myself demonstrating and also an example of uh, a recreational player who um, was having problems with his backhand slice, so I was giving him advice. So you can get an idea there of uh, the type of swing path that we're looking for. 
And if you have any further questions about this, definitely let me know, uh, either on the technique or on the uh, losing a stroke part of it. Thank you very much for submitting your question. I appreciate it. Really good topic. And thank you very much for being a listener in Sydney, Australia. Let me know if I can help you any further. All right. That does it for today's topic on episode number 178 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. I'd like to read a couple of comments that were left on last week's show at EssentialTennis.com slash podcast. And if you have any questions or comments about anything I talked about in today's episode, please go and leave those at EssentialTennis.com slash podcast. Just click on episode number 178, leave your thoughts. I'll do my best to respond to you there. And I like to read one or two of those at the end of the next week's show. So maybe I'll read your, your comments. Um, before we get to uh, last week's, I want to remind you all real quickly about the sponsor of this show, that is Tennis Express. Please check them out by going to EssentialTennis.com slash Express. That'll shoot you right over to Tennis Express, the one of the best online retailers for tennis gear and equipment, clothing, anything you could possibly need for tennis they have. And when you go to EssentialTennis.com slash Express, It'll put a little tracking uh, code in your browser, and any purchases you make, a small percentage of that comes back to Essential Tennis to help support the podcast and the website. So uh, big thank you to all of you that have been using that link to make your racket and string and shoes you know, purchases. I really appreciate that a lot. Okay, so I want to read real quickly here two comments that were left on last week's episode, which was an interview with Brent Abel. First, from Ed, one comment of his puzzled me. I think you asked him about problems arising from amateurs trying to hit like the pros, and he answered it in one word, topspin. The implication being that us mortals shouldn't try to hit with so much topspin. Brent didn't really develop this thought, but I'm intrigued. I mean, I, I've always been taught that topspin is a good thing and should be the foundation for all bread and butter rally strokes on both sides. Slice is nice, but more as a change-up stroke. Also, hitting with plenty of topspin seems pretty important when it comes to actually keeping the ball in, especially when you uh, when the game is being played at speed. Anyway, I didn't really understand Brent's rather cryptic comment and was wondering if you could elaborate on what he meant. Sure, Ed. And yes, I, I totally I understand your, your confusion. And, and Brent, by the way, was nice enough to come back and answer Ed's question himself. And basically, he says, yes, I kind of overemphasized that or didn't really explain quite clearly enough what I meant. He doesn't he didn't mean by that comment that he thinks topspin is bad in and of itself, but rather that trying to emulate how much topspin that the pros are generating these days is a bad idea for recreational players. So um, from his standpoint and, and from mine as well, I'm totally in alignment with Brent here. You should learn how to hit topspin. And in general, it's a very, very good and really a very important thing to know how to do. As Ed said, especially when you start playing at higher speeds, you need to know how to use it so that you can keep the ball in play more consistently. So Brent didn't mean to say that topspin is bad, 
but rather that trying to copy the pros and the kind of more extreme techniques that they use to generate huge amounts of topspin is a bad idea for the recreational player. So uh, thanks for your question uh, so that Brent could, could come back and, and uh, clarify that. Um, and then one more comment I want to read from Gary. Um, on the topic of proper spacing, it seems to me that this is really another word for good footwork. I see that high-level players always and always uh, split step before any ball is hit to them, and then they generate massive baby steps like a jackrabbit to get into proper swing position. Yes, Gary. And, and Gary actually went on. That's just an excerpt. Uh, and he talked also about the um, identification and being able to see the ball correctly and, and kind of depth perception. And that's the other part of it as well. And I've done several shows on those topics of footwork and on being able to identify the ball correctly so that you can get yourself in the right spot. And Gary, you're absolutely correct. When, when we talk about spacing, we're talking about footwork and we're talking about identification of where the ball is going, what kind of spin, what kind of speed it has, et cetera, et cetera. So you're, you're dead on on that extremely, extremely important stuff, as Brent and I were talking about in last week's show. So Ed and Gary, thank you both very much for your comments. Thank you for listening. And we had several other uh, comments as well. Thank, uh, big, big thank you to everybody who listened and came back and, and gave feedback. And if you have any questions or comments, again, about today's episode, go to EssentialTennis.com slash podcast. Leave those. And I'm looking forward to seeing your feedback. So with that, I'm going to wrap up today's show. Thank you very much for listening. Take care and good luck with your tennis. 